So Australia's got a skill shortage. You've got skills. Perhaps you have heard about Australia's skilled nominated or skilled independent visa programs. Maybe you thought, meh, that seems easy. I'll just add up to 65 points and get a visa. Whoa, I love the enthusiasm, but you need to do a little bit more research. So in today's episode, I'm going to help you understand these programs and the requirements to improve your chances of getting an invitation for a visa this way. Let me help you map out a successful migration pathway and a move to Australia. Hi, I'm Rhea Favole, CEO and founder of Solvi Migration, providing simple solutions for Australian migration. If you want to work, study, or even just vacay in Australia, then you've come to the right place for expert tips on how to stop the confusion and choose the right pathway for a holiday, student visa, or permanent residency in Australia. Join me on Making Australian Migration Easy. As we say in Australia, no worries, mate. Hi there. Welcome to the 14th episode of Making Australian Migration Easy. I'm Rhea Favole, your host and the CEO and founder of Solvi Migration. I'm also a former Australian immigration official. Today, I'm here to share with you how to successfully plan your migration to Australia via the skilled nominated and skilled independent program. These are fantastic opportunities. They do give quick access to permanent residency. And now I'm going to put my years of policy experience to work uh, to share with you how these particular immigration programs operate. So let's sit back, relax, and learn about how to successfully navigate and plan getting into Australia and migrating through these nominated programs. And of course, please stick by because I'm rewarding our listeners with a thank you bonus towards the end. And uh, let's get going. In last week's episode, I discussed what the top 20 skills shortages are in Australia right now. I covered off topics on what the top 20 jobs actually are that are needed right now, what the average salaries are in Australia for those jobs, the skills assessment requirements, and of course, the different visa options for them. This week, I'm going to dive into sharing some information on how to navigate the skilled nominated and skilled independent visas. We're going to have a chat about what are the nominated uh, visa types that I'm talking about and skilled independent, some of the pros and cons of these programs, and of course, some of the common mistakes that I see. So perhaps you've heard about Australia's skilled nominated or skilled independent visa programs, and you might thought, sounds easy enough. I'll just get 65 points. Well, today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about how to understand those programs more closely so that you can improve your chances of actually getting an invitation to put in a visa under these programs. Let's cover off what are the different types of visas under this program, the pros and cons of taking this approach to migration, and of course, some of the common mistakes that we see with people hoping to successfully migrate in this program and how to avoid them. So first of all, let's talk about the subclass 189. And this is the skilled independent visa. Uh, A lot of people, you know, very interested in this one because that is permanent residency. So the thing to understand about these programs, first of all, most people understand that you have to put it in an expression of interest. And this is done by the Department of Home Affairs website through their skill select. What you need to understand specifically about that 
is with the subclass 189, yes, there's minimum requirements such as achieving the 65 points, but more broadly, you're going to have less opportunities under this program. You need to understand with your particular occupation, even though you might see it on the list, is it on a high priority list? Because they're going to give out, for example, right now, registered nurses are number one. If you're a registered nurse and you're on that list versus another, say, a trade or ICT profession, you may be limiting your chances of actually receiving an invitation if you only put in for this particular visa. The reason being, there are a limited number of visas. They're very specific with which occupations they will invite. And just because you have an occupation, you have skills for an occupation that's on that list, and just because you meet the number of points doesn't mean that you're going to get an invitation. So there's no guarantees. But you also need to understand that there's more limited opportunities under this program. So just to, you know, it's, it's useful in this sense to have proper advice and to understand when the invitation rounds are coming out, have a look reflectively at which occupations they said they would invite, how many invitations have already gone out in the last round to those occupations. And then you'll have a bit more of an understanding whether or not you've got a good chance of receiving an invitation under this program. The next two subclasses that I'll talk about, the subclass 491 and the subclass 190, both part of the state and territory nominated program. So for these particular visas, again, yes, the point's important, but what a lot of people don't quite understand is each state and territory can actually determine the point requirements. So all of them will have, for the, both of these programs that I'm discussing right now, there is a minimum of 65 points. But some jurisdictions may decide that they won't invite people unless they've achieved, say, 85 points or whatever. So you really need to understand with the state that you're, or territory that you're putting an expression of interest to be nominated, you really need to understand about whether or not your points that you have got calculated meet their specific requirements. Then the next thing, and this is sim in a similar vein to what I was talking about, the subclass 189, people limiting their opportunities by thinking, right, my, my, my occupation's on the list and I've met the points requirements, so I just go for that. I see the same happen between these two programs, so between the two visa subclasses, the subclass 491 and the subclass 190, which are both state and territory nominated. So the subclass 491 is a provisional visa. It's valid for five years. After three years, you can apply for permanent residency independently, though, a viable option. It is more limited in that there are only specific postcodes, which are regional parts of the state that you can live in. And you must remain living in those states until you receive permanent residency. So that's the subclass 491. Now, for this reason, a lot of people will go, no, no, I'll just nominate for the subclass 190 because that's permanent residency and I'm not restricted with where I live. 
again, where I see people's migration planning maybe not quite understanding is there will be more invitations for the subclass 491 than there will be for the subclass 190. So even if your occupation is available for both of those, you potentially will have a better chance of receiving an invitation with the subclass 491. And the reason is you have to think about this. These are government programs. And the reason that they are being set up the way they are is because there's particular labour market shortages. Regional Australia, which is where the subclass 491 is for, it will often have greater skill gaps. So the reason they will give out more of those visas is because when you're granted that, you will continue to live in those regional parts of Australia. And that means those regions maintain the benefit of having your skills. The program is not established just to give you a visa. You have to think about it from a government perspective, why a policy or a program is set up for visas. And there is a goal. It's strategic for them. They want people to come with these skills and to work in those regional areas in Australia. So they're naturally going to be able to grant more or invite more people for the subclass 491. So if you're just hoping that because the subclass 190, your occupation is in there, you may be cutting yourself out of an opportunity. And so I I would recommend that people do also consider the subclass 491 because it's only a few short years before you can independently apply for permanent residency. And it's better to actually start that migration process and start your residency in Australia. You know, you're working towards your, your citizenship immediately. So do keep that in mind. The subclass 190, of course, as I said, is also a, a permanent visa, but it's going to have less occupations that are on that and there will be fewer people who will receive invitations under that part of the program. So I think I've explained this in previous episodes, but I'll give another uh, broad overview of these two different programs that I've talked about. So Australia, like many countries, has migration planning levels, and part of that includes this skilled independent or the state and territory nominated they're part of the migration program. So that means that the policy people, shall we say, in the Australian government have to sit there and work out, okay, we broadly have shortages in these particular occupations. The Australian government, represented by the Department of Home Affairs, you can have an allocation of this many, you know, a certain number of visas, then they need to figure out which particular occupations they're going to invite for a visa. Then the states and territories in Australia, because there's uh, different landscapes, different uh, labour needs and so on, each of them will need to be able to decide what are their greatest skill shortages. So, you know, in one state, they might have an absolute need because there's there's mining and there's, there's a shortage of certain skills for, for that or there's certain infrastructure builds going on and they have a skill shortage there. Then in another state, it might be heavily reliant on tourism and they haven't got enough people to work in tourism and hospitality, so they may be focused there. 
So within those allocations, they will make a determination of which occupations and how many of those occupations they will give invitations to. That gives you, I guess, a broad understanding of how the program is comprised. The next topic that I would like to talk to is some of the pros and cons of migrating uh, using these programs. So some of the pros would be that for the subclass 189 and 190, obviously, you get to become a, a permanent resident on grant of the visa. So that's quite an enticing reason to consider this program. You also don't need to have an offer of employment. So you're not tied to an employer. That means you're not reliant. Let's say you have an employer, you find that you don't like working for them. You're not then feeling that you're trapped with your visa. So it can be more straightforward and less time consuming than some of the other sponsored pathways if you're waiting for the sponsor to become approved and get nominations approved. Some of the cons though is that no one can actually guarantee that you'll get a visa through this process. So it's important to seek out good advice, understand how to do proper research to improve your chances. It's very prudent to do this. Also, all of the costs are going to be borne by you. They're not going to be shared with an employer because you're doing this uh, independently. There's also no guarantee that you will obtain a job in your profession once the visa is, is granted. So that's going to be reliant on you and your skills to do some research and network to secure a new job in this field. You also need to stay in a regional area with the subclass 491 until you get permanent residency. Currently, there's one exception with that in this program year, and I don't know how things will go forward, but um, in the, the state of Victoria, Melbourne, which is metropolitan, currently is also eligible for that subclass 491. But, you know, excluding that one exception, you would need to remain in a regional area until you're granted permanent residency. So those are some of the, the pros and, and the cons. But I would say all in all, the, the successful outcome and the obtaining of the visa and your residency or permanent residency in Australia, with good research and advice and understanding, these programs do offer a really good way of migrating to Australia. Topic three. So now you have a broad understanding of the program, how it works, some of the, the benefits, the positives and negatives of the program. Now let's get into some of those common mistakes that we as immigration professionals see. One of the common things is people not calculating their points properly. And it's really important to understand how that points calculation works. Then assuming that because you have a certain number of points that you will get a visa. You may have a certain number of points. You may have high points, but you may have a very common occupation that a lot of people have expressed of an interest, which means you don't get an invitation. So there are a limited number of visas, as I was saying earlier. The next thing is remembering to check that you have done the correct English language test. It needs to be invigilated. That means you need to go to a testing center and do an accredited test that is approved for migration purposes. You can't do a home-based test or an online test. The other thing to, that a lot of people don't realise is that their partner's English level will also need to be tested. Otherwise, they may be subject to a higher fee for them not having the English skills. 
And then another one that I see is people not realizing that actually their partner's skills could improve their visa. So by including your partner, getting a skill assessment can, for them as well as yourself, can actually increase your points and therefore make you a more attractive candidate for nomination. One of the naughty things that I do see people do is not including a partner, even though they have a partner, because the partner's situation may detract by five or so points. The issue with this is that immigration, at some point, you will then want to include your partner. Immigration will find out when you were in a relationship with that person and then you have been dishonest on your visa application. So if you obtained your visa on the basis of points and then immigration later on finds out you lied about things to achieve points, you could be subject to a visa cancellation. Another situation where this plays out can be once you come to citizenship. When people apply for citizenship, there will be a comprehensive review of your full migration history in Australia. They will go through everything again. So if they find that you have not been honest, you've not shown integrity at any point of the process, you may find that you get to that point, and I have had clients where I've had to represent them, they face a cancellation of not only their chance to get citizenship, but a cancellation of their permanent residency because they never genuinely met the requirements of that visa at the time. So really important to be very truthful, really important to understand what you can include towards your points. Make sure that your tests and your skills assessments up to date? Do they need to get renewed? Making sure you've had the correct type of police checks and so on. Just make sure that you're honest and upfront. And I would always recommend that you get uh, an immigration lawyer or qualified migration agent to help you from the beginning. So before you even go and lodge your skills assessment, to make sure that you're going and getting the right occupation and right type of skills assessment, and even to get advice on what documents are going to be required for that skills assessment. All of these things follow through, and if done right, it could be a fantastic opportunity for you. If not done correctly, I've seen people who can be quite frustrated because they kind of miss the round, they've made mistakes and then they don't get an invitation because of this. So really important to make sure that you understand and don't get caught out with some of these common mistakes. There is a lot of information on the immigration website. That's the Department of Home Affairs website. I will pop a link in there in terms of the skill select expression of interest where you submit your expression of interest for these programs. So Let's recap what we've gone over today. Uh, today, I really wanted to drill down into this fabulous program, which is the state and territory nominated or the skilled independent program, just to explain how they work. We talked a little bit about the different visa types that are within this program, some of the pros and cons of trying to migrate to Australia under these programs, uh, and some of the common mistakes that we as immigration lawyers and migration agents also see clients make when they're 
making it, uh, an expression of interest or even when they come to the stage of submitting the visa application if they are uh, able to get an invitation. So thank you so much once again for joining me on Making Australian Migration Easy as a special thank you. And if you're ready to actually get that assistance that I, I, I love to tell you all about, please go to our website. That's www.solvimigration.com.au. That's S-O-L-V-I migration.com.au. Click to book a consultation. And when you come to pop in your payment details, enter this redemption code. The redeem code is 50OFF, that's 50 off, and you will receive $50 off your first consultation. Thank you for joining us. Please do like and subscribe and share this with others. And of course, feel free to let me know in the comments if there's any particular issues that you would like me to cover off in future episodes. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Making Australian Migration Easy with me, your host, Rhea Favole. If you're ready to get started on your pathway to Australia, you can book a consultation on our website, solvimigration.com.au. That's solvimigration.com.au. If you've enjoyed the show and have learned a thing or two, please share, rate and review our podcast. Your feedback means the world to us as we try and let more people know the best way to study and work in Australia in a way that sets them up for long-term success. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you later.